This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This week, we had the chance to sit down with Scott Hamilton, founder and CEO of Hex Technology. Uh, these guys realized kind of early on that the entire industry, really the whole world actually, is kind of comprised of nuts and bolts. And this is t- this tends to be uh, kind of where failures happen. And this was due to the fact that no one was really properly trained on how to assemble these kind of things. So Scott watches through how they set on a mission to do educational training uh, for various organizations, predominantly on the downstream uh, side of the business, you know, in the, in the refineries. Uh, we had a great time with Scott. He was an absolute natural. He actually told us that he did radio in college for like five years. Uh, so it was a really good episode. I didn't know how much we were going to talk about uh, bolted flanges, um, but you know, I learned a lot. Um, thought it was a really good time. So uh, real quick before we get into the episode, April 24th, 2021, coming up in a few weeks, if you're listening live, we are hosting the inaugural Wildcatters blog party down in historic Richmond, Texas. It's going to be at Chuck Yates' house. Uh, we are actually going to be shutting on the street in front of his house. Uh, there's going to be all you can eat crawfish, cold beer, tasty margaritas, live music, and a cornhole tournament. We're giving away a heavyweight championship belt, looks kind of like a UFC belt, to the winners. Me and Scott Gale are coming for that. I just want you guys to know that. It's going to be a blast, uh, and we're excited to see all of you guys in person. I think as uh, as I'm recording this now, we are pretty much at like 80%, 90% capacity of the 200 tickets we kind of lighted. I think we're going to absolutely blow past that. And it, we could easily end up at 300 to 500 people. So it's going to be crazy. So just go to the website, uh, go down to events. You'll find the block party link, uh, register there, and we'll see you guys there. What's up, Wildcatters? We are back in the studio. It's been a little while. We had a whole, like, we had like four backlogged episodes. So I'm excited. I love recording. We should get back to it weekly. I feel like I forgot how to record a podcast. I know. I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. hands. <laughs> <laughs> the car, <laughs> the car ran real good. <laughs> so we're here with our buddy Scott from Hex Technology. Scott, what's your last name? Hamilton. Hamilton. Scott Hamilton. It's very regal. Well, ever since 1984, when he won the gold medal, everybody mm. associates it with the ice skater. So I uh, yeah. know an obscene amount about Scott Hamilton because people think, oh, like the ice skater. Let me tell you about his life, and I'm like. You should oh. tell people just to Google you, and you're like, oh, yeah, like you're the ice skater. <laughs> right. I look a little different. Have hair and yeah. six foot two instead of like five, whatever. He's like five. <laughs> I would love to see you in ice skates. Oh, man. Big dumb animal <laughs> in ice skates. You're a pretty grizzly <laughs> guy. I don't think I could see being nimble on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> just a goalie. That's where yeah, I, that's where go. I yeah. belong. Goalie. Sit at the hockey. net. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're a former rugby player. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a rugby turned, turned uh, figure ice skater. Yeah. Turned hockey player though, they'd be pretty good at hockey. Players. We should, should be good at fight. You just fight, that, though. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's not bad. All right, so Hex Technology. What do you guys do? So we started off seven years ago, and uh, in the uh, my background is bolted flange joints. So I grew up uh, hucking torque wrenches uh, in upstream, midstream, downstream for it was about nine years. And uh, during that process, I realized that there's this vacuum of knowledge in bolted flange joints. Like it's the most basic thing that we deal with in the world. Like bolts and nuts are everywhere, but it's so funny because people only know about 10% of like all the stuff that's associated with it. 
gaskets. Nobody knows what gaskets do, right? So uh, I was in the middle of a turnaround at my old company and I was the vice president of services at the age of 27. And I walked into uh, to the uh, site where they had a leak on a flange and the plant manager was like, so why did it leak? And I go, hmm. He goes, are you a bolting expert? I'm like, uh-huh. He's like, so why did it leak? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> right? Like that went around for a little bit. Yeah. And then finally I was like, He's like, are you a bolting expert? And I was like, yes. And he's like, then you should be able to tell me why it leaks. And I said, that's actually genius, right? So I went and I went and studied bolting from engineers, from everybody I could. And the Is there last like a bolting one-on-one book or something? Dude, actually, uh, yeah. We actually have that like on our online platform. That's actually yeah. now where we're at. So fast forward, we've been, I, I was training people, but not getting paid for it. I was still hucking tools, running service companies, everything else. And so finally I left that company and started Hex, mm-hmm. where our sole goal was to be to educate. We only sell knowledge, we don't sell products. So we could be a third party, unbiased look at what this technology is, right? Yeah. So did you see just like whenever you were trying to kind of, you know, learn and become the expert in bolting technology, realize that there was like not really a place to go. And so you saw an opportunity there to kind of educate. Absolutely. Like, because <coughs> every manufacturer is an expert at their one piece. So like one of the things, one of my uh, good colleagues uh, in the industry, uh, the, uh, so there's guy young, he's the EVP of reliability for Valero. I work with their mechanical side. And so we went over to go see guy and he said, develop the process, implement the tools. He goes, unfortunately, how people work is they find a tool and they cram it into the process. Mm -hmm. So what I spent with Hex is I had been around all these tools, the gaskets, the bolts, all of the things that, but nobody had it lined out. And so uh, the first couple of years of Hex technology, I was just sitting there developing the process. How do you train people? What do they need to know? Because what we saw in our industry was people were trying to out procedure lack of training. Right. Mm. Which I think is a cool concept to think about. Yeah. People write procedures when things go wrong because that's how procedures get developed. Right. It's never it's never like upfront. It's like, oh, well, that went wrong. Let's Frankenstein the procedure. And why did that happen? Lack of training. Right. So mm-hmm. they say if you just keep adding the procedure, you don't have to do training. Like, Did you guys do any like bolts or flange or gasket training back in the day? Uh, did we do training? Yeah. No. Did I hammer up? the fuck out of some bolts yes <laughs> well it's funny like when you talk the about the answer is always just more pressure right just, <laughs> no just like, make it right, tighter, look tighter this better. is okay so you know i roughnecked roughly 10 years ago and when we'd hammer up nipple up our bop like i'd always heard this myth like oh you know there's such services monahan's nipple up crew and they have like automated torque wrenches and shit like that <laughs> Never got that luxury. You know, we're down in this six-foot cellar covered in mud and shit with hammer wrenches. And you sit there, you put your hammer wrench on a bolt. I don't know, you got 16 studs. And you hold your hand on this, and you got about this much to hit. And so your partner has a 10-pound sledgehammer. Wait, 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 wait. So you're you're literally sticking your hand there. And yeah, you're I'm sitting here. Dude. You're trusting him with and a 10-pound sledge. And the rule is sledge. if they crush your hand with the hammer, you get to hit them back. In the hand? <laughs> like in the head? <laughs> no, you get they get they have to put their hand there and you hit them with the hammer. I swear to God, like that's the rule. But do you do it with spite or you do it like you match the pressure? I'd say you match the pressure, okay. but still like <laughs> <You're not> just <laughs> like <laughs> No, but that's how we did it. And you know, you talk about like okay, so here's the process. You know, you'd bolt these up and I can't remember how many studs we had on the BOP, but let's oh, say I think like sixteen or maybe more than that. Um 
you know, we do it in a star pattern. Like everyone had their secret sauce of how do you get a good BOP test? Oh yeah. Walk the dog. No science, no science to it. It's just like, this is a myth, but I know that every time I did a star pattern, it worked. And so do this one, do that one, do this one, do that one. And you go around, make sure it's tight. We take our pressure washer hose, we'd hook it up to a valve and we'd pressure test it. I don't know, like 1500 PSI or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if it leaked, it's like, why is, why is it leak? I don't know. Well, go back around start hammering up. And I mean, you just, you're sitting there hammering the shit out of them. And that was a process. And that was like, you think about a critical piece of equipment on a drilling rig. You have, you have a blowout, like all that's saving personnel and the environment is that BOP. And it was just me down there hammering it up with a hammer and a wrench. And that was just 10 years ago. That wasn't that long ago. You know what, though? The, the industry hasn't changed. And like what you see in upstream, it's starting to get better, definitely, in upstream. So with bolting, like we were saying, we kind of like we, we're involved with all of energy, like anything from wind, to upstream, midstream, downstream. Mm-hmm. Upstream is uh, upstream's actually kind of lucky in a way, because while you have high pressures, you don't have to deal with temperature. So yeah. your technical bolting doesn't have to be as as on point as you do if you're working like in refining. Yeah. Right. Temperature is everybody thinks pressure is the uh, the uh, bad part of of you know keeping bolts and nuts together. No, dude, it's it's relaxation that comes from heat. Like a lot mm. of people don't get that when you're operating at 700 degrees, metal tends to relax, right? And so you lose you go from in quotes you know your target torque of 50 ksi bolt load right 50,000 psi bolt load and you'll lose 10 to 15 of that just with heat so you go down to 35 or yeah right and then you experience the leaks too right so in upstream you have pressure now the other good thing about upstream is like on the bop the the gaskets are actually meant the flanges are meant to meet yeah right and the gasket's just that buffer because you'll never get those like two even spaces yeah because like a gasket for those you know you got a metal ring and you just got to make sure you know smooth sides up or whatever it is and you sit it in there and that's it but it's not like a critical component yeah well because here's the deal is that ring is there to prevent uh any fluid from going through the inaccuracy of the flange uh Mm -hmm. faces right so it's just there to block that part right there yeah and so what they do is they make the flange faces meet now you do that in midstream, uh, downstream, you're fired. Like that's you just uh, ruin the integrity of the equipment really? by doing that. Yeah, so it's kind of a different mentality of doing it. You look at like API standards for bolting; they go go to fifty, hammer it up, do it. So that's why even ten years ago you were still seeing the just take a hammer, get it tight, pressure it up. Yeah. You're not battling re- you're not battling relaxation or heat. So yeah. if it can pressure up now, it'll stay pressure. It'll be good for yeah however long it needs to be there. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you battle these super high temperatures? Well, or for, how, do you, how do you plan for it? Yeah. Uh, it's, believe it or not, it's it's kind of new. Good question. So there's a uh, ASME PCC one, American Society of Mechanical Engineers Post Construction Committee one is the indus- industry's uh, guideline for bolted flange joints that we're actually currently writing as a standard. I started with them in 08 as a contributing member. I think I became a voting member in 13 or 14, and now I'm chairman of PCC one. And our role in ASME, when you're looking at like API upstream, ASME everything else, right? In, in pressure vessels, gasketed vessels basically is what we do. And that's our role is to explain that to people, right? Is to say, how do you battle these temperatures and everything else? And I always tell people when we're explaining this is, uh, think of like getting a grade in school, 50% of your grade is engineering, 50% of it's assembly, 
right? So you can't ace one and fail the other and have a good assembly. Like you have to find this balance mm -hmm. between the two. So with temperature, mm -hmm. we, we go to different metals. Like B7 is a common material that you would have out in any industrial application upstream to downstream. Uh, but B16 is better at temperature because it's got vernadium in it, right? So it helps the relaxation not happen as quickly or as much. So we've started to figure this stuff out, but listen to this. PCC1 was published in 2000. We didn't touch it till 2010. 2010 was a very big update for the industry, and it's taken 10 years for the industry to catch up to where we are now. And we're publishing it as a standard instead of a guideline now because the industry is finally there. So yeah. bolting is only 10 years old. You look at welding, it's 60 mm -hmm. years old, man. Yeah. Welding's so, only 60 years old? Yeah, the welding that we know of, right? Bolting's yeah. been around for longer, too. Like, you talk about the star pattern. Taylor Forge did that. They split bolts. Like, have you ever noticed flanges are in fours? Yeah. They split the flanges into quarters, right? So you had one bolt per quarter. And yeah. then you do your star pattern. You torque up one bolt per quarter. That's yeah. that, was, that was actually finalized in 1932, I believe. Yeah. Uh, with ASME. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, I kind of went on a... <laughs> was that last part? The bolts. The yeah, bolts. <laughs> the bolts. Just the bolts. Bolted flanges, well, man. It's also interesting, too, because we were up at EQT's, um, one of their frack locations a few weeks ago, shooting some content for Evolve. And this is an all-electric frack, but one thing I found that was really interesting was that they'd got rid of hammer unions on all of their frack equipment and were running with bolted flanges. And so... Oh, I remember talking about that, yeah. Yeah, one, you know, their benefit was that hammer unions are just a very unreliable connection. Like, you literally have to put restraints on them because they're known for popping off and just killing people. Um, so, bolting was um, safer, but it's also, like, you can, you just, like, know that the connection's tight. It's like, you can know, mm -hmm. and this kind of goes to your point, is, like, with bolting now, it's like, okay, we can know that that, flange is actually secure instead of like a hammer union where a hammer union you're literally hitting it with a hammer and you're like yep feels tight it's not moving anymore it's just a feel yeah yeah so there's a lot more science that's been uh, that has evolved over the last decade in bolted flange joints uh one of the ones that we found out is gasket stress so like gaskets when gaskets fail you get a leak mm -hmm. you rarely see a bolt fail but you always see gaskets fail yeah so we've taken the mentality of tighter's better to gasket stress over bolt stress like that's what we're looking at and so you can start optimizing these flanges to last forever like in the downstream marketplace they're looking at turnarounds every seven years so this thing's got to stay holding pressure through thermal cycles for seven years mm -hmm. so we're really starting to get nerdy on this like back engineering of how these things work because the other thing that we're stuck with is b16.5 and b16.47 which are the asme standards for flanges have been around for 70 80 90 years whatever it is now right so we can't go and say no 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 we're going to re-optimize the flange and the whole industry's got to change you have to back engineer the stuff so that's actually what we're doing on pcc1 and that's how i got into becoming when i used to be the bolting expert now i consider myself a recovering bolting expert <laughs> because i learned that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right. I, so random questions. I know you're the, I know you're kind of the bolting expert, but talking about the gaskets, recovering right? Bolt. Recovering bolting expert. On gaskets, 
are you able to kind of quantify, or I don't know if the science is there yet, to where you know that a gasket can last a certain range of heat cycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were getting really, really good at that, right? The reason now. I ask, I've blown a lot of head gaskets in cars. So, okay, okay, <laughs> so, okay. so you're coming like, to had, that point. I yeah, like so, so, I mean, I, I you know built a lot of cars and stuff, huge car guy, whatever. And so just trying to understand, like, you know, I'm always torquing, like, head, like the, the heads to spec. We've got the good gaskets. We've got good seals. But you're right. It's like the – I've never had bolt failure. I've never had block or head failure. I've always had gasket failure. Gasket. A variety of gaskets, not just head gaskets, right? So sheet gaskets, when you go – so the car side of it, right, and you're dealing with sheet gaskets, there's no standard for sheet gaskets. So it's really the manufacturer that you buy. So I, I've become really good friends with the sheet gasket people, not because I deal with cars, but just because, like, that's chemical plants, like mm-hmm. none other. Like, we do a lot in chemical where they have glass-lined or fa- fiberglass flanges that you can't put a lot of bolt load on because they're fragile. Mm-hmm. you pumping some wicked nasty stuff through it so sheet gaskets i've learned a lot about that over the last five <laughs> years there's a company that is, that is that just a certain kind of material well so yeah it depends upon so you'd have to look at it there's a there's a company that we work with called tedit there are a brazilian-based company and they have their uh, north american headquarters here um there's a guy by the name of jose vega who's based out of brazil the most genius sheet gasket guy i have ever talk to he's been in the industry for 45 years he's a guy that i would say hey let's introduce you to him and see why that sheet material that the you know is backed out could we do something better with that right like and that's one of the things i love about our company is in the oil and gas industry it's typically been exclusive we're over here you're over there we're like you guys we're trying to bring everybody together so yeah it's like I'm not a gasket manufacturer. I don't care what gasket you buy, but I found Jose Vega and Joe Balch, the, the guys over there at Tedit, and I'm like, those are the dudes you need to ask. So I will hook you up with the dudes you need to ask, and they will cut you your gaskets for you. Yeah. Woo! This episode is brought to you by Datagration. When developing a sound asset optimization program, engineers must study past completion and development practices to understand the impact on well performance. The key component of this process is to efficiently use key data, which must be acquired, integrated, checked for quality, analyzed, and routinely updated. It's it's complete pain in the ass. Once data is in, Petrovisor environment is available for advanced analysis to use for physics-based models, constrained Voronoi polygons, I totally probably butchered that, multivariate regressions, and machine learning algorithms. Um, the automated nature of the Petrovisor uh, platform allows users to analyze an entire play or easily evaluate specific areas or individual wells and determine how past completion practices, geological variances, and well location in the field actually affect production. I think that's really cool. For example, a dashboard can be created geographically to show where the best drilling opportunities uh, exist within search parameters such as nearby well quality, uh, you know, rock quality and completion technology, and drilling inventory. So really the number of uh, drilling locations. Datagration has actually put together a white paper called Improving Unconventional Asset Evaluation by Automating Data Analytics. Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes below. Um, so just go ahead and click that. Once again, thanks to Data Integration. These guys are awesome. We really believe in their product and we love what they're doing for the industry. Like I said, I mean, data management is single-handedly, I believe to be one of the, the biggest problems facing our industry. And if we can get that right, it's a solid foundation that we can build a lot of really cool things on top of. So without further ado, let's get right back into the episode. You guys, you know, <laughs> what you've described so far is that you've had this kind of knowledge retention platform um, where you can bring people together and you can have the sharing of knowledge and ideas and connect one another. But you guys actually have physical equipment too, right? Like, is it, it's the brain or is yeah, that? We call it Chuck. Chuck. And everybody's like, what does Chuck stand for? Because we deal with engineers, so they're all about acronyms. Yeah. 
Dude, it's so funny. It's just Chuck. I hate acronyms. So do I. I hate acronyms. One, I forget them. Like, even common <laughs> ones in oil and gas, like, I forget them. I think there's such an inefficient way to communicate, and being in the oil and gas industry is, like, the worst industry because everyone just uses acronyms. With BP, so, we I have love, to go on their, they have a webpage for all their acronyms, so you can go look Yeah, up. exactly. So, like, I love that you just, like, call it Chuck, and they're like, what's the stand for? Like, it's just Chuck. No, it's just Chuck, bro. It's <laughs> just a stand for shit. It's just Chuck. <laughs> it's just Chuck. <laughs> So in the training side, so on our online stuff, and we're trying to get more and more people to our online training site. And we offer like free levels of training to get your just assemblers, like just dudes in the field trained. If you want to get past that, then we charge for that, right? But what we found is even at that level, uh, you can't take a dude who's been using a hammer for 40 years and teach them a new trick sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we battled that a lot in this because this technology is growing. Like my favorite argument is I had a guy tell me in a, in a plant recently, he said, I've been doing this for uh, 40 years and I don't even know why we need to change. And I said, well, we stopped smoking in airplanes like 40 years ago too. And we thought that was a pretty good idea now, right? And he's like, well, uh, well I guess we can change. Dude, there's, so, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing more de detrimental to the industry than I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, we were literally just talking that. about this on Twitter the other day. Like I... So, little tangent story. Let's go. This is one of my favorite oil field stories. But the I, told, popcorn. I told it on Twitter the other day. <laughs> I was arguing with this company man up in Pennsylvania. We're up on this rig and we're arguing about the specs of a valve. And I knew I was right. I knew I was right. And I wasn't being disrespectful about it. I was just telling him that, hey, this is the specs of the valve. And he's like, he's like, son, it's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm telling you that you're fucking wrong. And dude, I was fucking boiling inside. Like, I was so pissed off. I fly back to Houston. I get the spec sheet from the manufacturer. And that next week I fly back up to Pennsylvania and I go out to location and I give it to him in the fishing hand on location. He's like, that was the most petty shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm just going to let this old man walk around thinking he knows he's right just because he's been doing this for 30 years. Come on. Dude, the two sayings that I just boil my blood in our industry is I've been doing this for, and then whatever follows that. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that just drives me nuts is, well, at the end of the day, <laughs> are we only looking at day? Well, at the end of the day, are we only day. looking at like cutting? Like, what about like at the end of the year or the end of the like the end of the what, day? Right, like that no, one. nothing says I'm gonna fucking cut corners. Like, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, it just boils my blood when I hear those two. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's always at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, at the end of the day, I don't care. Like, I'm looking up. I'm looking in the future. I think that's we're very short sighted on some of the stuff we do. Right? Yeah, and so. Uh, we, we had to, in order to get, so like we talked about Chuck, we had to figure out a way to show people that they were wrong because you have those arguments of like, I've been doing this for years. Great. Fantastic. Check out a cool new way to do it. Right. We're not smoking on airplanes anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, there's stuff that's developing around us. Um, and so Chuck is a physical, so we teamed up with a manufacturer of uh, load indicating studs and this backup washer company like Nordlock is a big company in Bolton world and uh, Rotobolt, James Walker is a big company, right? And we teamed up with those guys and Tedit. And when we brought in all of our partners and we said the training rigs that were available to actually like dispel this, this horrible knowledge were in the realm of 35 to $45,000. And we used to distribute one for uh, an individual outside of the country. And it was really hard to service and everything. So I said to our team this year, I said, COVID's the game changer. We're going to get more online participation now, which we are yeah. mm -hmm. blown up online. Um, and I said, but the practical still needs to happen. 
how do we shortcut this? So the team and I got together and we said, let's go team up with our partners and figure out how to take this from a $45,000 to whatever it is and make it as scalable as possible, right? And sustainable, we want sustainability, right? Those are two buzzwords in the industry. Yeah. But how do you scale this for a Valero who's got 14 refineries, a marathon that had 17 refineries, right? Like, how do you scale this program up? That was what we were really looking at. And we found that Chuck, we took a $45,000 all in to about a eight to $10,000 all in, right? So much more digestible. And you need that to break down the barriers of I've been doing it for X long. Cause you've got in our industry, especially in the downstream side, you've got boomers and you've got millennials. There's no, none of us Gen Xers in there, just none. Yeah. Right. So you've got the upcoming engineers who are 30 years old going, dude, there's better ways. And then you got the guys going out of retirement, like are like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to stretch that. Right. So you throw Sounds this like a lot of work. <laughs> you throw this technology in <clears throat> and the boomers are go, I've been wrong for 20 years. Like we've had people tell us that because of this technology that we're developing for it. And I mean, it's so inconsequential as far as cost just to break down the bolting barriers. So that's what we've been really trying to scale up is you can preach somebody, preach to somebody on a PowerPoint all day long until they put their hands on it. Yeah. Not, they don't buy in fully. Yeah. Like so this is like an on, so is it like, like online kind of interactive tra Like they watch videos and or is it more of a like course style or like walk us through that? So for us, here's what we found the secret sauce was with training is um, we would get, when we would show up at a site, we would get somebody who's got one month of experience to 40 years of experience, right? Not that the 40 year guy knew what he was doing. It's yeah. just, he knew the basics that we were talking about, right? Where yeah. the one month guy who just got hired wouldn't know. So we developed the online platform for everybody to walk into the class right? That's your trust. You have a general vocabulary because everybody's like, CBTs can't replace the infield. You're right. They can't because you have to make sure somebody can use a wrench. I mean, how many people have like, dude, I got my buddy of mine. He's got a son and he went out and they had the, uh, you know, the old fishing rods where you hold down the button. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget. This is not Zippo, but yeah. So he that's what I grew up with. I don't even know what the, I don't know how to fish anything else. <laughs> right. Like I did fly fishing and that as a kid, like those were like, right. And so my buddy takes his uh, best friend's kid out to go fish and the kids just sitting there like swinging this thing back and forth and can't get it. Right. And it's like, he's the smartest kid in class, but he doesn't know how to press down the button and sling the, yeah. the fly or the fishing rod. Right. Same thing in an industrial world. You don't want somebody who doesn't know how to push the button. Right. Yeah. So the online is trust. And then the in-person is verified. So the online gets that person where training academic is not scalable for a lot of people because you have an engineer who can't talk with somebody or you have an assembler who doesn't understand the mm -hmm. technical. It's typically what we see. Mm -hmm. So like our training, I've done both. I've been in the field. I was running turnarounds for years and then I've been doing this for 15 years total. So, uh, Brian made me do the voice of my partner made me do the voice <laughs> because he's like, dude, we hired somebody and it sounded like, yeah. This dude doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So it's kind of like what we're doing here. Yeah. Like I'm reading the script, but then I would just ad lib and Brian's like, dang it. Now I got to fix all the copy. On that, right? <laughs> yeah. But then he was like, but it tells the story. So anyway, how, what we found that works is you have to have academic. That's the trust. Mm -hmm. The practical is verify. Yeah. How do you scale those? CBT for the academic is the only way to scale because then you, otherwise you have to hire people and you have travel and you have all this stuff. And right now the industry can't afford to. Yeah. So the CBT and then, but what we did find is what's, what's CBT computer-based training. Okay. 
Sorry. We're talking about acronyms, acronyms. again. Acronyms. Oh, dude. At first, I thought, at first I thought you said CBD, and I was like, fail. Yeah, we, we introduced CBD, and everybody's happy. CBD. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's interesting. First, we relax everyone, get them in the right mind state, and just learn about bolting. Right. <laughs> I like that, though, because like I'm more of a hands-on kind of learner, like I always have been. You know, and so I like even in school, just me being so ADD, I mean, I would just like tune out to, you know, a teacher kind of sitting up there and lecturing and stuff with computer, like doing it online and watching videos and stuff. It's more definitely self-serve. You can kind of go at your own pace and, and make sure that I'm kind of like engaged. But I, I, I love to like if I'm going to learn something new, I just want to get my hands on it, you know, and I just I learn by doing. Same here, man. I was like, I wasn't a very smart kid growing up. Like I was just a regular, like 2.5, 3.0. Like I struggled to get a 3.0 in college. Like Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with rugby, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But like, I wasn't a smart kid. Like I always had to work for it, but you stick something in my hands and let me practice a couple of times. I can get it right. Yeah. But the reason why we said that the academic was important is because you want people, you can scale the hands on. There's a lot of technicians out there that have used a lot of clicker wrenches, hydraulics, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the scalable part. So you just want those guys in your company come to us for the academic and we do train the trainer so that you can just do the practical and you can pump out the practical and it's super cheap and easy compared to trying to develop this whole program. I got a customer of ours. I love them to death, but they made this university of massive and it's impressive, but now you have to get everybody to come to Houston, Right. Mm-hmm. Of, of your uh, they're not global. They're basically primarily in the States, but they have offices all over the place. So now everybody's got to fly in. Right. Thousand dollars in airplane ticket round mm-hmm. trip from wherever you're coming from. You got another thousand dollars in hotels and everything. Our thing was we'll do we even do virtual train the trainer. Right. And say and we have the videos and everything to back it up and say, here's the deal. You want your local guy. You want one local guy to do the practical. Right. And then that way he just goes through it and you don't have the expense and all of the, everybody coming in, right? Yeah. You can put it out there. So we're really, I mean, we're really further ahead than what I thought we would be, but I think COVID's the reason why. Like, if you really look at like what forced our hand, I mean, like I joke, like I, everybody's like, oh, I got the COVID 15. And I'm like, well, I got 15 the year before because we were really pressing on our first two levels of online training and learning a learning management system, call it an LMS. How do you manage like certificates and stuff like that? I didn't know that. Yeah. So like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. For I just know bolts and bolts accessories. <laughs> right. Lefty, loosey, righty, tidy, bro. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Oh, dude, we got a meme. Yeah, I'm going to meme you later. I'm going to put the king of hill. Yeah. <laughs> so bolts and bolts accessories. <laughs> Fair enough. So for anybody who's wanting to reach out, I mean, somebody who needs to, to coach up their entire team on... On bolted, bolted flanges. Yeah. Maybe they're in oil and gas, gas, all of it. Wind. What do they, they find you guys? Uh, hextechnology.com. Info at Hextechnology. I travel a lot. Uh, my email's Scott at Hextechnology, but. You blow them up. I'm, I am moving all the time. Info at Hextechnology or Scott at Hextechnology.com. Awesome. And we'll help you out, man. I mean, again, like we do this for a living and we deal with anything on the bolted side. So even if it's not training, if, if there's questions you got, man, we're here to help. Like we're trying to build that community up. We even host an event once a year, uh, invite only. And we need to do a digital wall cutters bolt event. Dude, we Let's need to, we it. need to team that up. Man. Yeah. That'd be you want to talk about some Uber nerds? We only allow two people. 
from each company because we don't want it to be like a massive like training session. So yeah. We get like Valero, Shell, Exxon, like some super uber nerds come <laughs> into like one area in January. Hey, what yeah. kind of bolts you got? Oh, I got this. I know, right? What kind of bolts you got? Did you hear anything about the B8s? Oh, <laughs> yeah. class twos are good. Watch out, right? Did you torque it yet? No, dude. It's so, it's so dorky. And it's what I love about it is it's the social event that nobody wants to go to that everybody loves. Yeah. Right? Like none of the maintenance like, guys are like. Like you don't tell your friends like you're going to the bolted party. No, but then, you don't. But then but when, when you, you get there and you're like, we're so glad we're here. <laughs> <laughs> we just become friends. You like bolts. <laughs> Exactly. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, go check go check these guys out at Hex Technology. Dude, Scott, thanks for coming down, man. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Love what you guys are doing. Thank yeah. you for doing this. For thanks, the mission, man. man. It's good to have you on. Is, this has been a blast. We also talked about Disney movies for about 20 minutes before we actually started the mic. So yeah, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll cut in some of that. We got some of that footage recorded. <laughs> so maybe we'll give our takes on Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. If you like the episode, take two seconds. Uh, share with your friends. Go check these guys out. Huge thanks to our sponsors over at Data Creation. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.